What's going on? Welcome to KZ1023's Community Beat, a new podcast hosted by myself, Ross Martinez. Each episode, we take a deep dive look into members of our community, the accomplishments, the trauma, the mentors, all of it. I hope this brings light to all the great things going on in our community. Yes, at times, it may be difficult to hear, and some episodes will have some spicy language, but please don't be deterred. There's so much beauty in our stories. All right, let's get to KZ's Community Beat. Thank you for listening. You know, it's like in our immaturity, we try to approach a winter season like a summer season. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome into another episode of KZ1023's Community Beat. I am your host, Ross Martinez. Alongside, I have Jarrell Glass, famously known in town as Mr. Glass. We live by each other, and I've just now figured out your name after eight, nine months. <laughs> Welcome yeah. in, Mr. Glass. You are, uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of things you have, but you have Prestige Barber. Yes. But you also have your barbershop school. Yes. And you're doing a lot more for the community. Have to. You know, um, we have the barber school, the shop downtown Prestige Signature, uh, and the school is uh, Mr. Glass Tensorial Christian Institute. So we're really, um, I look at it as like social entrepreneurship, you know. <laughs> I like it. Not just capitalism, but really making counter institutions that's that's my goal so you a local kid born and raised i am not um i've been in peoria almost six years now oh what brought you to peoria you know uh i had business actually so i had a barber shop in kankakee uh in kankakee's mall and then i opened up one here in peoria that's a ways away my goal was to franchise so i had this grandiose idea of having <laughs> barber shops I had a, I have like a, a model for high traffic malls, and um, so I had one in Kankakee and I had one here in Peoria. When I had gotten the one in Peoria, I went through a rough divorce, and that's how I became a Peoria resident. Oh. Yeah, after after a divorce, after like fourteen years, got to move to the Midwest. You know what I mean? Like yeah. part of the Midwest, Peoria, Illinois. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting you say that because I went through a breakup before I got here. Wow, it's kind of like. Yep. You move somewhere, you start fresh, you kind of yes. get a fresh plate, yep. clean the mental, the emotional aspect. Definitely. So Definitely. you came, you got to Peoria, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Bright eye, butchy tail, a little, a little emotional baggage, but you with it. Yeah, I was with it. You know, just uh, what I like about Peoria, what I found to really appreciate about Peoria is that um, it's it appreciates hard work. People that, oh, yeah, nice. it really does. Like, um there's a saying, if it plays in Peoria, it plays anywhere. So I, I thought about that, and um, I kept hearing it when I first moved here, and I was like, why? Why is that so? How yeah. is that so? Um, but when you look at the demographic makeup of Peoria, it's almost identical in a lot of ways to the United States as a whole. So if you can create a model, a working model here in Peoria, you can pretty much guarantee it's going to work in other markets so it's interesting brilliant brilliant uh place for a test market here in peoria you're like the 20th person to tell me that. <laughs> yeah which i never thought because i'm from chicago born and raised mm-hmm. i'm out here for the job and i'm falling in love with the city as you're talking yes. about there's there's a lot of beautiful stories we got here yes a lot of big heart passionate people trying mm-hmm. to improve mm-hmm. so let's take me through you you're here in town. Mm-hmm. What's your passion to improve the community? My passion, you know what, was kind of a, a rally call. It was a, an article written by Wall Street Journal in 2019, wallstreetjournal.com. And 2019, Peoria was in the top 10 for worst cities for African Americans to live. So um, that's that statistic it really concerned me and I'm looking around and I'm the only one alarmed so I'm like well, why is everybody so casual when you know we're making you know these lists for all the wrong reasons so no one you know I would mention it you know it'd be just be blank stares so as time progressed and I started to get involved and I made it my business to change that challenge that uh, recently, I looked at, it was probably 2021, hmm. and Peoria is now in the top five. Uh, so I, I'm like, 
I believe I have a, a purpose and a mission uh, for this city to change that narrative. So that, what yeah. are some reasons that they it, it's declined? It's uh, three areas. You have um, jobs. Uh, it was jobs, employment, education, and housing, like home ownership. So home ownership was only like 30 30% African-Americans own their homes here in Peoria hmm. uh, when compared to our Caucasian, quote-unquote, counterparts, 75 to 80% home ownership. So when you look at home ownership and the lack thereof, it plays a part in everything. Hmm. So when you start, for instance, if you go to Zillow, you put in certain zip codes. They're going to pull up schools, safety, and um, unfortunately, here in Peoria, the Afri mo most of 61605, these communities, they're not getting the resources. Education is, is subpar, and nobody's like ringing the alarm. I, I dare to ring the alarm. So even, even with housing, jobs, uh, with the decline of caterpillars imprinting this city, it's, it's things are changing. It's going into from industrial to healthcare. Mm. So I'm thinking from a you know from a producer's uh, perspective, like what can we do to trans you know to be able to move our people from the assembly line mentality to phlebotomist mentality. And sometimes we get lost in the sauce. So I really believe as time is progressing, if we're not careful, we'll end up in the top three of worst places for African-Americans to live. You know, it's interesting because that, that, it ties me to a point that we were talking off, Mike. Demario Boone, mm -hmm. one of the director of District 150, I mm -hmm. think it is, public, Bureau of Public Schools, mm -hmm. he was mentioning this in the episode about the uh, red lines mm -hmm. and how there's certain, over time, the community's got line and that's mm -hmm. where quote unquote the hood is yeah yeah and have you seen that a lot in life where you started noticing these red lines more and more historically um if if you look at in history right um you we'd oftentimes hear of race riots mm -hmm. race riots in st louis race riots in springfield race riots in chicago um History has recorded these quote-unquote race riots. But when you research it, it really wasn't a race riot. When there's a riot, it means it's a mutual fight. It was a massacre. And it was based on uh, redlining. You had black families wanted to move out of the hood into better areas for uh, you know better positioning, better education, and the people in that community said no. And they were willing to burn that city down to keep blacks from moving into their community. Hmm. So that's that's real. It's it's a point where like you hear the old adage, there's mm -hmm. only so much somebody could take before they start swinging back at you. Mm -hmm. And I know it comes off in a way where some people are like, oh, you're condoning it. No, it's the reality of what we go through. Mm -hmm. There's a certain perspective you and I share as minority male, yes. men. Mm -hmm. um, at the time of this recording, uh, who was Ellen DeGeneres' DJ? Mm -hmm. he, he passed away today from suicide. suicide yeah. Mental health, that's another thing. Yeah. We deal with a lot. Mm -hmm. And when we get pushed to a point, the bubbling kind of happens and mm -hmm. the frustration, the outward actions. Now, with what you're trying to do with the barbershop school, mm -hmm. what got you down to that path? Is that along with you're trying to give people a creative outlet, a new profession, something outside just assembly lines? Well, with um, the barber school, I've had barbershops in Mississippi, Kankakee, and Peoria. And what I learned is if you spend X amount of dollars on building out a beautiful barbershop, you're at the mercy of that community to staff your barbershop. Mm -hmm. So my barbershop was 
Prestige Barbershop. And we had individuals in there cutting in shirts and ties, really raising the bar. Um, so I learned quickly that it's a really having a barbershop of the, the caliber of barbershop I had, I had to have a feeder institution, which was non-existent. So instead of just focusing on putting clippers in somebody's hand and saying, go at it, we use that opportunity to be able to infuse values in there. So my experiences with barbershops, it evolved into an acronym. So prestige became professionalism, respectability, excellence, service, mm -hmm. tenacity, integrity, greatness, and empowerment. I wrote a book. My goal was to integrate it into like Illinois uh, curriculum. Mm. Uh, so it, it was to... If we get a school, my thinking and rationale behind it was getting a school, we'll be able to be like a counter institution, be able to infuse values in with the profession and trade. So being more than just, um, you know, just cutting hair, but just being a, a barber with a in a career, a, a legit career path. Right now, barbering is like a plan C. Mm -hmm. You know, if plan A don't work, B doesn't work, it's on down the line. But I I know barbers that are making six figures, you know, doing very well. Yeah. Very well, doing very well. And Diddy has one on retainer that yeah, pays all day. There you go. Diddy, uh it was a um DJ Cal um Cali, he has a barber on staff. Mm hmm So they when done correctly Barbers, uh, it's a really good profession, a trade that has withstood the test of time. They, oftentimes they said that uh, barbering was uh, recession-proof. <laughs> but I found that it wasn't COVID-proof. <laughs> really? It hit you hard. It hit, it hit our industry hard, especially here in Illinois, because it was considered, we were considered non-essential. So... Um, yeah, J.B. Prisker, Governor Prisker said, uh, you all are non-essential. Go home and don't come back until we tell you to come come back. And uh, that that just really rubbed me and, and agitated me to the point where we have to create a an industry that's revered and respected. Where we had, come on, man, yeah. where it's like before they announce you all are non-essential. We're sitting down and there are lobbyists in the room talking to the governor like, no, let's have other solutions. And that, was, that wasn't that was there. So that's that's my purposing behind the school. How was that mentally dealing with being taken away from work? It was, it was depressing. Um, and I tell you, man, it was a season, uh, a dark, dark, dark place, man, dark place. Um, but through that dark place, I found, uh, I rediscovered me. Yeah. I rediscovered me, man. In the darkest place, I rediscovered my faith. Um, it was a pivotal point, like to be able to sit down in our adulthood. How many times do we, are we made to sit down? You know, and just really, we had to sit down and really go over life. And um, mm -hmm. that caused me to stop, reevaluate some things. And really, it was the best thing that could have happened. In retrospect, when you think about it, I mean, I mm -hmm. lost my job from where I was prior to here. But mm -hmm. as I, I'm a little, um, what's the word? Like, I'm looking back, a little nostalgic on things. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at it. You ever stop and look back at certain moments in your life as, there were stones or forks mm -hmm. in the road, but lucky we're a turkey. Yeah. I mean, you're here now. Yes. Like, I'm here doing this, and I'm completely fueled feel yeah. with passion. Yep. I get to talk to you guys. I get mm -hmm. to talk to people in the community that are doing things. I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. So the redirect, yes. how was that for you? It was uh, unpleasant at first, hmm. but uh, it turned out to be most rewarding. Um, a funny thing, when they said we were non-essential, I was depressed and I was sitting on my couch and I'm having a pity party, man. My mom calls me. 
and uh, she's talking to me. She's like, son, um, I've been making a uh, mask. You know, she had this pattern <laughs> for making masks. Uh, Can't stop a hustler, man. No, you know what I did? <laughs> I went, bought a sewing machine. May created my own pattern. My mom inspired me. She said, you know what to do. You watched me do this growing up. Bought a sewing machine, my friend. I made a pattern. Yeah. I made a two-ply face mask. <laughs> And was sending them all over the United States during the pandemic. It made you get creative. Exactly. I didn't know that that was there. Like, I had to, and on some of my social media, you'll see my mask. And they were different, definitely different. Um, I mean, I had army fatigue. I kent cloth, because, you know, that was during the uh, the, the Black Lives Matter yeah. whole movement, man, I had something for every occasion. You said everybody get it. Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> yep. You're not going to stop this. No, sir. That's, you know, it. one of my favorite sayings in life is we plan, God laughs. Because mm -hmm. there, there is, I was raised Catholic, so I always believe that there's, mm -hmm. a, there has to be a reason for what happens and how it happens. Mm -hmm. But it is a struggle sometimes when you're faced with adversity. Yes. And you're you're challenged to improve yourself mm -hmm. or to elevate your own standards for yourself. Yes. So mentally, as you're having your pity party, you're you're feeling the impact of something that you're passionate about taking from you. Mm -hmm. What type of ways did you handle that besides just being creative? Well, I really um, the dark place, man. It, it I had gotten to the point where I had turned to. Um, I'm not a big drinker, you know what I'm saying? And it got to the point, man, where I started to drink more frequently. So uh, I, I call it getting lost in the bottle for a minute. I got lost in the bottle, and um, I really, I was really there at my breaking point, at my breaking point, man. And um, But at that low point, I was able to see things as they were mm. sometimes in the multitude of business we really don't stop and see how things really are we just we just reaction you know we just move and react yeah. and um man i was slipping i was slipping but uh one day man i just you know i'm a believer and at that moment is when my faith activated i'm talking about it's like i had to get to my most desperate point in my life mm -hmm. and at that most desperate point is where my faith came alive it's like it blossomed and how like it just did you have a moment where like god spoke to you because i've been hearing that a lot from different people yeah. it, it was more like um you know when you're you're crying and then you have an epiphany <laughs> it's kind of like uh, how can you say it? It's like the, I say like the Lord nudges you. It's like this knowing of it's going to be okay. <laughs> he nudges you with, with this assurance. Um, how did that feel? It was, I knew at that moment <laughs> that um, I knew I wasn't, I knew that it wasn't for me to die. I knew that there was a, it wasn't for my business to die. It wasn't. I knew that I had purpose to fulfill. And um, at that moment, I gathered myself and um, I just started fighting. Hmm. Just started fighting and um, had to, you know, start fighting against um, the bottle, put it down, man, and um, staying sober, staying clean and clear. See, I would have never guessed that about you because every time I see you, man, you, mm -hmm. you just like me, you happy. Oh man, it's it's been some uh I've I've experienced some some fights, brother. Well, they say the people with the biggest smiles got yes, sir. the hardened hearts. Yes, been through it. And it, it's funny, even while I was going through that dark time, um, we birthed uh a ministry called P ninety one Church, right? Hmm. So I'm having my pity party and I'm looking, searching for inspiration. I'm like, all right, Lord. 
I'm not feeling this ministry. They're, you know, they're hollering at me. This one isn't giving me information. What's, you know, what's, what's relevant to where I am now? And then it was just like, start recording and be that relevant voice to where it's not so theologically deep. We're talking about this. Yeah. And, and I tell you, I, I started right on Facebook, man, doing recordings at different locations mm-hmm. with just a, a very solid, um, a solid word, nothing to, but just to encourage people that were going through like I was at that time. Did you have other moments in life where you felt God talked to you or was this the first time that you actually felt the nudge? Um, I would say when I first... Uh, I was in a bad accident, hmm. a bad accident, um, and really it was the end of my military career because I was in the army as well. But I knew I had purpose after that event, and um, with some guys, man, and I was a squared away soldier. I'm talking about boot shine, pressed up all the time. They were trying to get me into the sergeant's program my first year. And one night, man, they come and pick me up. We going over this girl house, drinking and everything, and the police get behind the car. Um, The police get behind the car, we're drinking, everything is in the car that we don't supposed to be in there. We're, we're soldiers. The guy driving looks at the owner of the car who was in the passenger side and he says, I'm sorry about your car, and takes off. So I'm in the back passenger side. Now listen, we've been drinking all night. Incoherent, but he was doing everything on the dashboard. Lights behind us. I'm looking at the trees flying by the window. We're doing, we're flying. But I heard a small voice. This voice told me to jam my hand my arm under the back seat. I listened to that voice. I jammed my arm under the back seat. Driver lost control of the car. The car flipped over five times. Oh. If I would not have adhered to that small voice, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. That's... Like, (laughs) I'm trying to... You felt God talk to you in that moment. Like, hey, fuck up real quick. This is, I heard, now listen, I'm gone. Yeah, you in the sauce. You, yeah, slave. like, but there was an audible voice that said, instructed me to put my hand under the back seat, under the back seat. And I said, no question, I did it. Now, huh. I, I wouldn't say at that moment that there was God speaking. But over time, there was a, there's a scripture in Isaiah where it says, I wasn't, my, uh, I wasn't in the whirlwind. Uh, uh, my, my voice wasn't in the thunder. How did he say? I wasn't in the thunder. Uh, he wasn't in the thunder. He wasn't in the whirlwind. Uh, he wasn't loud, but at the end, it was just a small, still voice. This is, and I'm paraphrasing from Isaiah, but it was that small, still voice that saved my life. That small voice. So a lot of people say, God told me this. God told me that. I don't know. But I know from my personal experience, brother, if I would not have listened to that voice, I wouldn't be here. That is intense. I wouldn't be here. You sh- And you should have seen the car. Uh, it was messed up. Hey, does it still kind of shake you to your core a little bit? Think about it. In hindsight... I needed therapy. <laughs> yeah, I needed therapy. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the <laughs> the running joke, the yeah. running joke is that you know it's it's easier to talk about sex with your parents as a minority man than to yeah. talk about therapy. That's real. I I needed that. That was uh, an event that changed my life. Changed my life. And after that, what happened? You just, you know, um, my military career was over done with but with that happening and always playing in the back of my mind 
I couldn't get involved. And so it was like, man, why did that happen? Mm-hmm. Like, why out of all, you know, out of all things, why would that voice tell me to put my hand under that back seat? Like, what am I preserved for? Why am I saved? And um, over time, and I eventually uh, just submitted you know what I'm saying, to the ministry. So I started uh, following, you know, really getting into, f- like, trying to understand Jesus. Because, mm-hmm. and, I, and I didn't want to get to know him from a denomination. I didn't want to get to know him from any other. I wanted to get to know him personally. Build your relationship. Yeah. That was the most valuable thing to me. Huh. And by me doing that, my life, it, it went in a different direction, man. I ended up uh, accepting my call to ministry. Um, I did some training. Um, man, I've preached in Mississippi, so I, I, I have preached and ministered. I've performed multiple um, funerals. Like if you Google my name right now in Kankakee, Illinois, multiple funerals, man, um, people in the community. So that voice started a a snowball to where it it really moved me into into purpose and that is serving humanity and Mm. sharing the love of god man um it played i'm I'm so imperfect and so uh but imperfect imperfection is beauty and and that's what i'm learning because that's what i'm learning brother like it's it man when I look back over it, I just sit back and I I weep. I actually weep, man, because some of the guys that I grew up with that were in the military with me, man, some of them still in prison right now. Mm. Some of them got forty year bids. Then, man, so it's just by I'm I'm very grateful and humble to to be here. Yeah, you have yeah. the opportunity to make an impact. Yes. It's two times in your life where life has got you down yes. drastically. Yeah, yeah. But God spoke to you both times. Yes. And he's like, I, I, I got some plans for you. Yeah, yep. Do you believe in angel numbers? You know what? I do. And I've, I've researched that because, I mean, if you look at um, numbers throughout the Bible, numbers are significant there's a mm-hmm. book of the bible named numbers and it's a census so i do i do because last last month and a half i've been seeing my angel numbers mm-hmm. repeatedly everywhere mm-hmm. and i've been feeling like i'm getting called to something i don't know what i hear you i, hear I went you. to bible study willie williams invited mm-hmm. me out it, it was all right it wasn't my thing i, I, I respect it. it wasn't my thing and i'm like what am i being called to right now mm. like you have those moments still yes. Yes. Like you feel like you're getting called down to something, but you don't know what. Yep, it's always like a, um, you know, it's a scripture that says many are called, but few are chosen. Hmm. And um, man, when when there's a a purpose in you, it's nothing you can do. Like the very thing you were born to accomplish. Like, there's a meeting. Um, there's something that, an experience, that's that only you fit the criteria to, to meet. <laughs> so your your, all of your experiences have put you on this path, for this purpose. Mm. So even as, it's a hunger that, it supersedes religion. When when you're really seeking Jesus and wanting, man, that relationship becomes so rich where only he can satisfy that thirst and that hunger. You know, that's and, and then you'll find yourself getting up at strange times of night praying and like reading your word and stuff, man. And it's because you have that connection with him. Yeah. Man, so I I encourage you, brother. It's, it's a beautiful thing. 
I'm, I was raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. I was uh, Sunday school taught it. I was uh, with the catechist. Mm-hmm. I was reading the word. I was an altar boy. I stuck the cross up high as possible. <laughs> Everybody, even the sinners wow. outside, I can see it. Like I did it all. <laughs> when my grands passed away, I walked away. I hear you. And then I lost a few more people and mm. other traumatic things happened. I'm like, ah. Mm-hmm. But I never stopped walking. In mm. life. I may have stopped going to the church. Mm-hmm. But I always had a strong connection with them. I hear you. And it's interesting because when I talk to other people of the faith, they're like, mm-hmm. nah, no, you don't have a connection. You don't have a connection. But I feel like I do. Yes. What do you think about that? I agree. When, when you really look at it, um, we are programmed to, like religion says, <clears throat> it's something by obligation, right? It's empty. You pay your bills to receive these benefits. Mm-hmm. Keep the lights on. Internet. But a relationship uh, is is more rich. So just like Moses had to go on the backside of the mountain before he could accomplish his purpose, hmm. we have to go and really take time to get to like learn not only ourselves but learn how to relate to the Lord in this relationship. It's like we're we're learning how to walk and and it's like a newborn when we in our faith Mm. so time and and that development nurturing like praying and seeking him that infant begins to grow so it's like a lot of us in in religion we're walking around infants because we haven't gone to the backside of the mountain (laughs) we haven't been processed (laughs) i think i'm at the backside of the mountain i'll be honest with you but you, but you know what happened on the backside of the hmm. mountain? Moses encountered the burning bush. His moment. Come on. His moment of God speaking go. directly to him. There you go, brother. So you've had your moment. Yes, sir. With other moments in life that you've that have stuck out, maybe not where you have experienced God in the moment, but have experienced, all right, now it's time to go behind the mountain. Or like areas of your life kind of led you down to where you are now. You know, um, I call it seasons, seasons, and, and the, there are... You're the sixth person this week to use that. Life is seasons. <laughs> it, it is, but the it's, it seems like the most important thing is discerning the seasons. Mm. You know, it's like in our immaturity, we try to approach a winter season like a summer season. <laughs> Break that down. Because you know what? <laughs> I kind of get that, but I feel like there's somebody else, me, that doesn't fully get it. <laughs> so this is how we approach it, right? So if you look at life as seasons and there's a winter season, you know how to approach a winter season. You have to dress differently and you know, got the big coat, the scarves. Big, come on. You ain't outside in a miniskirt. Yeah. There you go. Unless or it's your tank birthday. top. <laughs> <laughs> so in different seasons call for different responses. And when we aren't discerning the right seasons, we respond out of season. So here it is. There's a time where we should be settled, still, and just kind of sitting back and reading and growing. Instead, we're out active like it's summertime when the Lord is like, no, it's dormant time. It's time to develop. It's time to grow. It's time to heal. Hmm. It's a time. So eat every season. In fall, you know you're getting ready. And then when fall comes and then winter, you're dormant. Then there's spring and you're, you know, then you're active. So yeah. it's learning, discerning. Being able to say, okay, this is the season in which it's time for me to launch this business or for me to go forth with this thing, you know, versus just doing stuff all the time. We waste a lot of time doing stuff, man. Has your discernment been something, been a gift that you've always had or something you had to work towards? The closer we grow in our relationship with the Lord, that's those are things that come along with that relationship. Mm, that's the gift. Yeah, yep. Your discernment, your gut feeling. Yes, you know yes. You know, you said something interesting um, towards the beginning of the podcast, how people view 
barber being a barber barbershop as mm-hmm. option C. Mm-hmm. Did you have an option A and option B before you got into barbershop? I did. I did. Um, I, tr- I went to the military. I tried college. Um, tried college? I tried college. <laughs> I tried college. Tried Bible school. And, you know, it. it nothing, nothing really, like, stuck. Um, I worked in an uh, oil field for a little while. Really? You've been around the block a yes, little bit? Yes, sir. I used to take a, a helicopter, an hour helicopter ride into the middle of the Gulf of Mexico to drill oil. Stayed out there for two, three weeks on a, at a time. And um, the funny thing is I took my clippers with me and I would be out there cutting hair in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. Didn't know I was going to be an international barber. Then. Who taught you how to cut hair? You know what? It was by trial and error. At, at like the age of 10, my mom, you, you know, my my mom didn't have, I have three bro- two brothers, and um, she didn't have the money to take us to the barbershop, so she would cut our hair, and I'm like, man, Ma, I know I can do it. She was like, no, you can't do it. So every time she cut our hair, I'd go in the bathroom behind her and fix it up. So then she was like, go ahead, you're going to mess it up. I went in there, cut my hair. She was like, okay. Then I started cutting my siblings' hair, my cousin's hair, and then that was it. It just caught you. Yep. That was it. How do you feel when you're in the moment cutting hair, doing all this? I love it. When you're when you're in like in the middle of purpose, it's timeless. You can do it for free. Cause every time I stop by over there, it's uh <laughs> what Twin Towers, right in the lobby, yep. I see you. You what if you are in the moment, you're just got a little smirk on your face. Yep. Hey, a big one. It's a nice little smirk. <laughs> you might be humming the tunes that yep. you got there. You're asking questions. Yes. But I see you doing your thing, and I'm just observing. I'm like, Mr. Glass, like, he looked like he living it. I love it, man. I, mm-hmm. I love it. And it's the it's beautiful because no two days are ever the same. Every client, every single time you interact with that client, it's a different interaction. Never, it's never the same. It never gets old. The hair lays different every single time. So every time there's a different challenge. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love it, man. I can tell. You have an, an entire ambiance there yep. where it feels very welcoming. And yes. This isn't an ad. I'm just saying it <laughs> is what it is. Yep. But it's awesome. Like, I love meeting people that mm-hmm. have a fire to them. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't love people that don't, but it's it's something captivating when you find somebody that is walking in that purpose. Mm-hmm. And you just see them. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay. Mm-hmm. But it's cool to get you here to hear the story. Yes. When I met you, I didn't know you flew over to the Gulf of Mexico, that yeah. you were in the military, that you were a preacher. Yeah. It's still speaking the word. Yes. That you've had your battles with depression and mm-hmm. trauma. And I, I mean, this is your, you know, your youth to your adulthood. Yes. What about your childhood? How was that like? You know, uh, it's interesting that, that you bring that up because, um, uh, I'm writing, I'm writing another book, mm. so I'm able to kind of, like. It's rare that we stop and just think about like what we've gone through, and like to really like look at our childhood from where we are now. Yeah, it's 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 a, um, I call it a privilege to be able to do it. So I recently I've been kind of just going back, and um, I was born in Kankakee, Illinois. But we lived in a like one of the poorest townships in America. It's called Hopkins Park, Illinois. Hopkins Park, okay. And it's seventy miles south of Chicago. It is extremely poor. But um dirt roads, everything, man, but we were surrounded by two grand two sets of grandparents, a great uh, an uncle and aunt. We didn't know that we were poor <laughs> we didn't know we were poor we just thought dirt was normal on our a lot of people that grew up in poverty or poor don't know it. don't even know it but it hits them at a certain age yes when it hits you in fifth grade how so i moved from pembroke or hopkins park to the city kankakee and in hopkins park i was making straight a's so I'm the oldest of four, right? So I'm the first, I'm the crash dummy. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I had a fifth grade teacher named Miss Huken. 
and she made it her business to she made it her business to prove that I was incompetent to be in that magnet class. Really? So I didn't understand the politics at the time. I didn't know. But she knew I was from Pembroke. She knew I had straight A's. And she made it her business to show me that I didn't deserve to be in that class. You basically got told you're not part of this. Exactly. How'd that feel? It was horrible. They, I was bullied. And see, the teacher sets the tone. So the students, my fellow students, they bullied me. Um, and my grades went from straight A's to C's and D's. So that really broke my, uh, what do you want to call my my spirit for education? Yeah, and confidence for education. And your trust too at a yes, point. Definitely, definitely. Um, so at the at that point, that's when I realized that it was a difference between class, and uh, she let me know what class she thought I deserved to be in. Yep. You know, my mom, you know, they were too busy trying to make a living, so they didn't know I need to go up to the school and check this lady about. Now it was like, you're failing now. It, it was it was a lot to it that I think, in hindsight, uh, it, it, it was pretty rough. Yeah. It was rough. That's yeah. interesting you say that, because I remember I, I had experience in grade school where they asked me to stop speaking Spanish because mm. it made people feel uncomfortable. Wow. But I didn't tell my parents because I didn't say, like, okay. Hmm. But in retrospect, now that I look at it, I'm like, oh. Yep. Huh. Mm-hmm. And I didn't embrace, I think, from that moment till I think I was in college and dated this one girl who spoke a bunch of Spanish. Yeah. It wasn't until I embraced it again. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how trauma yes. can carry on into your adulthood. Mm-hmm. So that trauma being out of place, mm-hmm. not wanted, mm-hmm. not having comfort mm-hmm. or guidance. How mm-hmm. did it impact you as you were evolving and, and growing in life? It 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 wounded me. Hmm. It really wounded me until in my adulthood, I'm an avid reader. I love to read. It's a guy by the name of Dr. Juwanza Kanjufu. He's out of Chicago. But, uh, he wrote a book and he was talking about the conspiracy to uh, destroy young black men, right? And what he said was, he said how um, in the fifth, by the fifth grade, um, it's an effort to get young black men or young minority men disinterested in school. So by the time they get, you know, to fifth grade, they deal with these difficult teachers. They don't want to do anything. So he went as far as saying that we have to focus our efforts on grades one through five if we want to create good students. Mm. And it's been such an effort to destroy that confidence early. So that confidence is destroyed early in minority communities, but at the same time, they're building prison beds based upon that the metrics they begin. Come on, man. Uh, we were talking, uh, I think it was with uh, Becky Rossum, yeah. about how it's mental imprisonment or mental conditioning to imprisonment yes. at some point. Mm-hmm. That we are preemptively creating a pocket in society that we just start feeling our minority male mm-hmm. breaking homes. Mm-hmm. And I know people hate to hear that. There's gonna somebody. There's gonna be somebody right now that listens to it. Oh, screw mm-hmm. this! And they mm-hmm. turn it off. Cool, fine. You're mm-hmm. not ready for the message. Mm-hmm. But there's a perspective that we see that mm-hmm. we've experienced. Yes. You got told flat out you're not wanted here. Yeah. I yeah. got told to. Yeah. Brown less it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, how are ways you've taken that obstacle mm-hmm. and trying to positively impact? members of the community or that you want to you know i um with the barber school i said early on i said i just didn't want to start a business um i want to start an institution so when i look at building a school whoever comes through those doors we're going to be able to impact them so if we can, and I call it counter-institutions, hmm. so if we can get 
young men and women to come through our doors, haircut uh, for whatever service, if they want to go to school. They're coming in and getting what they may have missed early on. So if they've dealt with a bad teacher in grade school, we're able to nurture them back, get that confidence back to where they're feeling like, man, okay, I can get my barber license or academia isn't that bad. So my, my approach is to be able to create a counterbalance per se. Like I don't do squeaky wheel. You know, I'm just not out here. If I see a problem, I'm going to do everything I can do to build something to correct it. Nice. Yeah, that's that's what I want to do. Have you had mentors in your entire life from childhood, adulthood, people that have stood out that have helped made that trauma a little bit easier to manage? Really, um, I was very close to my grandfather, my mom's dad, and he was a... Um, quite the character. He was a preacher as well. Um, my dad played a really big role in um, in have you know some level of support. But honestly, I yearned for a mentor. Mm. And I, I, being the oldest sibling, we don't have an older brother to run to. So I found myself always looking up to, you know, the OGs and stuff like that and constantly being disappointed because they didn't want to mentor me. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I felt like a, a roamer at times, man. But um, I started reading certain, you know, getting into uh, reading. Like my favorite book is by this gentleman by the name of James Cone. James Cone, okay. Man, um, he wrote a book called American, The American Dream or The American Nightmare. And it's a dual biography on uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. It's a duality with them. It is. Man, and he, he breaks down how they were born, their parents, from birth to death. He compares and contrasts them throughout the entire book. Blew my mind. What do you love or admire about each of them? Because they're very different. Very different. Very. (laughs) Very, very different. Um, What I like about Dr. Martin Luther King was his uh, diplomacy. His diplomacy. Um, I've been to the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Tennessee. Mm. Um, It's a civil rights museum in Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama. And without Dr. Martin Luther King's diplomacy, the, the rooms that he was able to get into and to bring up issues impacting those stressed communities, we, we would be back years. Malcolm, on the other hand, he was, um, he embodies courage. And with that, that courage, he spoke things that may have been controversial, definitely controversial. However, as a black man, he did not bite his tongue in an era. He did not. At all. So it gives us a sense of courage, you know, to to be like, okay, if if I if I do feel this way, it's okay to feel that way. I'll be mindful of how I express it, but it's okay to to speak. So I, I really admire his boldness um, to be able to to speak to power. You yeah. find yourself with the duality on, on days or weeks where you're like you have to pick and choose if you're Dr. Martin Luther King or if you're Malcolm. You know, um, it's so many. So I, I say at different times because um even with like Marcus Garvey and that's another big yeah name. Marcus Garvey George Washington Carver through my existence as a black man at some point of time all of these different attributes are needed it's sometimes where I, that, well I will be needed to have to stand up 
for what I believe is right. There are some times where I may have to be a bit diplomatic. There are times where I'm gonna have to be creative like George Washington Carver and make something out of nothing. Um, so yeah. all, all of those play a part in my fabric. Mm-hmm. A collection of stories and tales that make mm-hmm. the man you are. Yes. You're a family man, right? I am. You have a young boy? I am. We have um, my ex-wife, because I'm divorced now, but we have uh, three children together. Uh-huh. So we have uh, two girls and one boy. So it's Gavin is the baby, Jory, and Gabrielle. So it's 18, 16, and 15. Oh, wow. And then we have uh, two grown sons. Uh, one of them have a, a son, so I'm actually a grandfather now of two years. How'd that feel becoming a grandfather? It was surreal. It was surreal. Everything that I've um, gone through and, and, you know, writing, you know, just life as a whole, man, to see a third me. A third generation. Branch growing. Man, it I mean, from your grandfather to you becoming a grandfather. Yes. A person who was a big member of your upbringing. Yes. Yep. Do you find yourself instilling some of the morality and life lessons that your grandfather taught you, your father taught you? Definitely. Being young, I would fight not to be like my dad. Why's that? It, It would really, growing up in Kankakee, majority of my um, peers, they didn't have fathers. So here it is. I had a father. I was the eyeball. Hmm. So it was like reverse peer pressure. So I wanted to be like everybody else. They didn't have a dad, so I had a dad. He worked all the time. He was never there, but I had a dad. So for years, man, I, 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 I low-key resented him. How do you feel about that now? Now, um, we 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 have a, a really good relationship. Um, it's growing. Good. Because uh, when you look at your dad, you're really looking at yourself, flaws and all. <laughs> <laughs> man, I, I hold my pops so high, man. Yeah. He's taught me everything. Amen. Amen. It's I've yet to have the blessing to become a father. I wish I do. Yeah. But how was that moment when you had your first kid? Like, what changed in your mind? It was it was like a starting block. Like, I ran track in high school, and when that, when you have that, that responsibility, it's like life. It's on. Now you have to. It's no longer about you. No, no. So it, it, it was, it was definitely a fight. It was definitely a fight to be a father, to give uh, something that I, I impart something that I may not have had. Mm. Uh, so I had to be creative, but um, it's it's been it's been a road, definitely been a road. What's some of the biggest things you've learned about yourself in, in the journey since becoming a father and now a grandfather? Grace. How so? That how harsh I was with my dad, you know, now to be a dad and to, to make mistakes, um, it puts me in a position where I need just as much grace from my children. So instead of me being a knucklehead, like, dad, you didn't do this. Now it's my children are like, dad, you didn't. I'm like, I can't even get mad. So it causes me to extend even more grace, to love them even, even more. Um, I find myself, man, just really um, praying for them, you know, at 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 every opportunity because it's it's just by His grace, man, that I I have my babies. Yeah. It's a lot to contemplate and to sit and yeah. just analyze, like, from poverty to picking up clippers yes. to being told you don't fit in yes. to military to experiencing near-death. Yeah. And then finding your way to the oil fields yep. to 
back in Kankakee to now Peoria. Yes. To now being a grandfather yourself. Yeah, yes. Your story is filled with so much. Yes. What do you want the community to know about you, remember about you, when all said and done? Like, what's the important thing we should know about Mr. Glass? The most important thing, like if one word that can en encapsulize Mr. Glass is that of service. 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 I want to, um, I don't want to leave nothing unpoured. I want to pour everything out to this community um, because I know what has been given to me or what hasn't. So when people um, see me and they, you know, on Facebook and stuff, I just want them to see a person that's pouring out from experiences that just trying to make things better, man. That's that's my whole my whole mission. So, what do you have left to do for the community? Glad you asked. <laughs> I see that over nice. <laughs> you know, um, I recently, you know. Uh, was going for county board mm. so uh the election has come and gone i didn't get it but we showed a pretty good showing and um it showed that i was poised d during the whole situation um experience so now i have an opportunity to be um a chief of staff for a house representative oh wow so it's really uh, opening up doors for me to really have influence to be able to change some things in this city. Um, there are some, in this city, just if we look at what's going on in Peoria, there are some real needs. The South End still doesn't have a grocery store. Uh, education, the yeah. Tenth person tell me that there's no. It's no, and it's been like that for seven years nearly seven years so hmm. who's gonna fix it <laughs> you know i want to be the person that can have the resources to be able to call and say look how do we do this how do we get this done get the ball moving that's it where else are we lacking in this in this town uh definitely there has to be a grocery store i would say um my platform that I ran on was um, grocery store, trade development, and economic development, right? If you look at the life, the lifespan of a black business in Peoria, right? It's only maybe a year and a half to averaging. That, that bad? It's horrible for, for black businesses. Hmm. Um, I, personally, I know of a handful of businesses that I've, my wife and I have frequented and we went there one day and they closed the next. That quickly? Yes. Yes. So what is it that, what is it that information that minority business owners aren't getting that gives them sustainability? So I want to be able to have like a, a program, a PACE program where we see businesses from their inception development to pretty much give them sustainability to have long-standing minority-owned businesses. Yep. Equal opportunity. Yes. You know, Demario, uh, Demario Boone, one of our former uh, guests, he had this um, he had this image he talked about how you see three different people standing behind the fence. And one's tall, one's medium, one's short. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, we need equality. They all get a box. Mm -hmm. It's like, no. Mm -hmm. My dream is to remove the fence. Yes. Give mm -hmm. you the equal opportunity to see from your perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, even with the notion of um, equality, I really promote equity. For instance, it, it's... It's enough to say, okay, we're going to hire, you know, everybody. But when we can give everybody a piece of the pie, it changes everything. So equity, for instance, 
I didn't like the way the um, the drug, uh, how they did with recreational marijuana. I watched how they rolled it out. And I was very disappointed because in our community, they were satisfied with just saying, oh, we can ride around, we can smoke now, and we won't get pulled over. Mm -hmm. I said, hold on. I said, have we considered the the manufacturers, the big names that are going to start dispensaries in this city and we're not getting any of that money? So to me, equity says, I'm not just going to promise to get you all out of jail. Anybody who had a drug charge, you go through this program, we place you in a dispensary. We place you in a, in, a, in a hemp processing position so that you can now have equity in this industry. For what we took from your life. Come now, on. Now the government's benefacted from it. That's what Which it, that pisses me off. Exactly. And I know it pisses off a bunch of people because I know people who got wrapped up in it because they were selling or they yep. were carrying. But now... The yep. man done found a way to make some monetary off it. And now, I guess yeah. what? We're Commercials good. and everything. But at the same time, same Caspi. Yes. Take a little candy on the quick yes. fiver. Yes. Yes. It always interests me the, the duality of citizenship, of how we treat our people. Definitely. And how there is the red line, how mm-hmm. there is the dividends. Yes. And people like to be hush hush about it. Mm-hmm. But not Ross. Yeah. I like to talk about it. Yeah. Yes. How much do you see that here in our community, that it's, divide? It's prevalent. And I believe we really have to be a... Um, I was crazy enough to run as a Republican. Yeah, when I met you, I remember <laughs> I said something. You're like, now nah, I'm Republican. I'm like, oh, my bad, brother. <laughs> and my, my reasoning behind that, um, I mean, outside of my personal values, is what if we were able to leverage the vote. Like, what if we said, okay, here it is. We're in this impoverished zip code. What if it was a possibility that we could vote another, a different direction other than Democrat? It is, it is bull that it's a two-party system. And leverage it. We could actually leverage that possibility of voting for another party to get stuff done. So below the hill, they're saying, okay, we don't have a grocery store. Well, candidate so-and-so, if you can't promise us to get that done, this R candidate is saying he can do it. What you going to do? See, now it's just like a D behind your name. It's a shoe-in. It shouldn't be like that. Yeah, and politics in general annoy me. Mm-hmm. As as a Latino, as a, I'm Mexican, mm-hmm. so as a Mexicano, we are only spoken to mm. when it matters, mm-hmm. and there's no movement after it. Mm. Like, all right, so prime example, just to put this up, but remember when the busloads of migrants coming to town and everybody up in arms, mm-hmm. but when it's election year, yeah, no, let's do it. Mm-hmm. But when it's not, oh, we got to put the wall up. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as Latinos, we are so disenfranchised mm. with who to follow. Like, yeah, a lot of us are conservative by nature because of our religion. Mm-hmm. But there's nobody that speaks directly to us. Mm. That's deep. You know? And really, I, I challenge that to build that, 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 that network because you in, in, in the Latino community... There are the same issues going on now. Of course. Same, same. It's gotten worse. It's, and it's getting worse. So I think if if we were able to sit down, there there has to be times where we can sit down and talk things out versus just saying, I'm a hard D, I'm a hard R. Yeah. And really push humanity forward. Because right now it's a standoff. It's, it's it's a it's a standoff and who hurts who ends up hurting the, the people. people. Yeah. There you go. Because I mean, one of the big reasons why this podcast is happening 
mm-hmm. is to take away that initial, mm-hmm. my initial. When oh, you're Republican. Oh, all right, mm-hmm. I'm a hard Democrat. Mm-hmm. I'm a hard liberal. That's just how I was raised. But we can still sit here mm-hmm. with civil discourse, mm-hmm. learning about each other, mm-hmm. taking away preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. Just who you are as individuals, amazing. You've yes. been through it all. Yes. You started from poverty. You mm-hmm. got told you wasn't supposed to be here. Yep. You witnessed death. Mm-hmm. You have your businesses. Yes. And now your mind says, okay, what can I pour into the community? Mm-hmm. There is no reason at all somebody should look at you and be like, oh, you're our, never mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. and just dismiss you. Yep. And I hope what people get from this episode is who Mr. Glass really yes. is. Yep. You're a person with a good heart that's been through it all. Yes. That's yes. had his depression, that mm-hmm. has bounced back. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. You believe we've been talking for about an hour and a half? Wow. <laughs> I didn't even see it. Yep. That's, that's how good. it happens, man. It's good. It's good. Uh, before we head out, if anybody likes to get involved with you, get in contact with you, how can they find you? I'm on uh, Facebook at um, Jarrell S. Glass, J O R E L L Glass. Um, hashtag Mr. Glass. I'm on Instagram at the underscore Mr. Glass. Mr. Underscore Glass. Have an entire brand. I see. The whole brand. Um, <laughs> Our school is uh, Mr. Glass Tensorial Christian Institute. That's a purpose-long name. We want people to really start looking at our industry and thinking about it, considering it. So it's uh, Mr. Glass Tensorial Christian Institute.com. We're pretty, pretty much the only blue check mark on barber schools on Google right now. Wow. Um, so that's just about it. That's just about it. All right. Yeah. What's one of your favorite songs? Of all times? All time. Mm. I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours. Al Green, Love and Happiness. That's my number one. Marvin Gaye, What's Going On? I think that surmises you pretty well. <laughs> all right, now, this has been another episode of KZ1023's Community Beats. I'm your host, Ross Martinez. My guest for this really good pod, this good dialogue. Mr. Glass. Salute. salute. Peoria's own. Thank you, Salute. Do what you gotta do. Go back, listen to other episodes. Go follow him. Follow me. Follow us. Whatever you gotta do. Thanks. Bye. We appreciate you. Yep. Thank you, brother.